Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes, and I'm really thrilled you could be with us today because we're going to have a lot of fun. I've spent nearly five decades studying the afterlife. I've read hundreds of communications from those that we used to think were dead. I've read channeled communications, accounts of deathbed visitors, visions by people sitting at deathbeds, NDEs, OBEs, on and on and on, quantum physics for dummies, a lot of other science details, just putting all of it together over decades and finding that amazingly it all did fit together perfectly. Repeatedly during that time, I discovered new concepts, new wrinkles, and I found to my wonder that they all did fit Frankly, it was like the best treasure hunt you can possibly imagine, and it went on for decades. I loved it. And then it was over. For many years, more than a decade, I just had the fun of knowing the truth and the joy of helping others to know the truth. And I became used to the notion that I had you know, plucked all the low-hanging fruit from the tree of afterlife information and even picked up all the rotten pieces on the ground and put it all together. And I was never going to learn anything really new. Uh, no new in- sources of information. I was accepting that. I had nothing more to learn until this past weekend. When I spent an exciting time with a book whose author is our guest today, and I discovered a whole new phenomenon, which I never had heard of before, and wonderfully, just with all those other random pieces that all fit, what I learned about this weekend fits wonderfully with everything that I have already learned. This has been really, frankly, a delight. I, I read the whole book. I was eager to read it, and I actually finished it just before we, we started to have this conversation. Our guest calls what he's discovered the interrupted death experience. Um, now, we do know that there are people who go off track at death, and we know why it often happens. And I'm, I think by the end of this uh, hour, we may have time to talk a little bit about that. But our guest today is Nathan Castle, and he describes in Afterlife Interrupted a self-contained, complete, and different from anything else I've ever seen reported kind of interrupted death. And I think it must happen very often. It's quite remarkable. And as I say, it's entirely consistent with what afterlife researchers already know. In fact, in this book, this this man, who, by the way, is a Dominican Catholic priest. It's not as if he's done a lot of afterlife research other than what he's learned in doing this work. He talks about the afterlife and what he's learned just from doing this work. And it's all consistent with what we've all learned. Stop and think about the odds against chance for something like that to happen. Nathan Castle has been a Catholic Dominican priest for about four decades, I guess now. He's lived and worked in a community of Dominican men and women for many years, serving the, the University of Arizona in Tucson, where I've been, and it's a lovely, lovely place. His book is called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over. He's been doing what is really amazing work for a class of dead folks who desperately need his help for almost 20 years. Nathan, welcome. I'm so happy you're with us today. Well, it's great to be with you. 
He said I don't have to call him father, which is very sweet of you, Nathan. You but call me what you want. <laughs> I sort of feel we're old friends. Having read your book, I, I, it's hard for me to even think of you in a formal way. Um, a very personal, very beautiful book. Tell us a little bit about your your history. You always were pretty sort of involved in a prayer life. I was really impressed with that. Even as a young man, you and your friends were, were um, doing what really was prep work for the work you're doing now in terms of prayer. That's the way it looks to me. Um, I'm, you're in Texas, and I, I grew up in southeast Texas in a Catholic family, in fact, a very Catholic family. Both of my aunts were Dominican first-grade teachers, and my parents were very devout, and, and uh, church was and church school was very important. And we were just taught as children that we belonged to the family that was around us. We belonged to our neighbors and the country, but we also belonged to people who had died already. Yes, yes. When when we said our prayers at night, my mom, before I was even able to form prayers by myself, she would kind of, you know, do a call and response or repeat after me. And we would bless people, and some of the people on the list were alive on this plane, and some had already passed, but it didn't seem to make any difference. Uh, she taught me that night prayer was how we talked to our other family, and we oh, didn't necessarily wow. know what people needed after they died, but you you know, a lot of time you don't know what people need here. You just love them and, and uh, try to serve them. and, and So anyway, yeah, you're right. I, I was uh, praying for people that died, even as a little kid. Please de- define the term which you've coined, interrupted death experience. How would you define it? Well, I, I, you know, I wanted it to sit alongside near-death experience. And, right. You know, Ray, Raymond Moody coined that, I think, uh, back yes. in the 70s. And so I, I, knew, I felt that people that are interested in this kind of topic would probably already know that it seems like the near-death experience describes a sequence of things that occur at the time of a death, not just your heart stopping, uh, yes. not just uh, a moment, but a process. Uh, you know, the, the elements are not always identical, but they, they cluster around. Uh, sometimes people have a kind of visitations before they die. Uh, then there's the phenomenon of it going through a tunnel or being moving toward an attractive light, maybe being greeted by loved ones or angel figures, figures of light, religious figures. Well, anyway, uh, the the near-death experience describes a process, and the people that I've dealt with who have died just stopped the process. They interrupted it. They said no to the greeters. They were too overwhelmed or too something, and it's true they died and left their bodies, but they didn't do much else after that. I'll give you uh, a perspective from the viewpoint of the natural death process. Um, We plan our lives and uh, we plan in two, sometimes three exit points that our higher consciousness can choose to take, which that's nearly all of us have that kind of natural death. But, and I should just say parenthetically, near-death experiences turn out to have nothing to do with death. And Dr. Moody would be the first one to tell you that. Instead, um, they're a different process. Uh, and, and 
usually, in fact, I've never seen in a, in a natural death a tunnel or a light. Instead, it's just a different process. But it does involve those deathbed visitors virtually always. And they are the ones who escort us once we leave our bodies to the next level. So mm-hmm. what happened to your people, the people you were helping, is that they didn't leave at a natural exit point. Instead, they had usually a traumatic or a violent uh, death that that um, obviously was not were not planned. So um, they, their, their primary spirit guide was there with them. And I love the way you depict them in your book, these wonderful, loyal friends who stick with these people, even though they're basically in limbo. I mean, it's a Catholic term perhaps, but they are. They're in limbo. They put themselves into this odd um, what, what, what if them said it's like a beige DMV waiting room with a plastic plant? I thought wasn't that, that was, wonderful. Yes, it was. It was really funny. But but the point is, they're they're not anywhere because they refused. In many cases, they saw those deathbed visitors who were hurrying. Everybody was hurrying to get there because suddenly, you know, this this person we love that we we want to help has died. But they wouldn't go with them. They, I think they didn't even recognize what was going on. They were so confused. And many of them were very guilty feeling or they had some or, or they were angry. They had some very negative feelings. So their problem, it seems to me, was that not only were they out of their body and the body was, you know, they could no longer go back to it at a time when, that would, when it was not part of their plan, but they also had very negative emotions, which made it very hard for them to perceive, of course, how beings who were, were vibrating higher. So this is a perfectly, from the viewpoint of someone who has done all this research, a perfectly natural gap, which you have discovered, or actually it discovered you, didn't it? I mean, these people clearly, um, that this was a process that was worked out by the wonderful loving beings that you, of course, describe in the area where we all go to after death. And they've worked out a way to help even these people who otherwise yeah. were really stuck out of time. But it's, yes. this is a, you have to, you have coined a new term. I'm going to make sure everybody knows about this new term in, in this little world in which we um, afterlife researchers live. But, we know, I should just say parenthetically, many people do go off track at death, um, but usually it's because as they are leaving during their normal exit point, they leave their body, and um, they're, they're, they're very happy to see their dead loved ones, and they're already vibrating more toward love and getting ready to go to the next level, and then lo and behold, they notice everybody is crying around the deathbed, and they try to comfort their loved ones, and when they do that, they lose the ability then to perceive their deathbed visitors. That seems to be the most common reason people go off track and there is a rescue effort going on all these people will be rescued but wow nathan you fill a really important gap that i i guess i never realized we had but it, it's a big gap and i want to talk about that i want to talk about um how exactly what what happens and what the process is and but let's go back first and talk about how you first realized there was a problem you dreamed about someone right I did. I was, by the time this specific thing, uh, phenomena happened, I was in my early 40s. I'm now 63. So uh, about 20 years ago, I was having a dream. I was asleep in the middle of the night. And I, the first part of the dream was my normal stuff. I'm a golfer, so I, I was playing golf. I was playing with another priest. We were finishing our round of golf. <clears throat> and we went into the bar. Where we're having a drink. And, <laughs> the, the 19th uh, hole, as you said. Yes. The 19th hole. And, but in the 19th hole in the dream, there was a silent auction going on. 
Well, you know, I've run nonprofits my whole adult life, so fundraising is, you know, that's part of my world too, and silent auctions are part of that. But in the dream, I looked across the way, and there was this nasty piece of framed art on the wall, and I said to my friend, my God, look at that nasty thing. Who would, who should, somebody should be ashamed to donate that to a charity. And, I, and you know, as is often the case when we see something awful, we want to see it closer, <laughs> you know, like, a, yes. like a car crash. You know, we just got right. to know the details. And I, I, it, was, it was attractive to me in, an, in an, a, a, an off-putting way. And as I moved toward it, it moved toward me. And then inside the frame, it started moving. And it was a, it was a little film, a little video of a man burning to death on the radiator oh, yes. sitting on the hood of a car. Yeah. Uh, and I knew even before I was fully awake that something had shifted inside and I was now um, being told a story. It wasn't my psychobabble any longer. It was somebody else needing my help. And, uh, and then by the time I was fully awake, I said a prayer and wrote it down as quick as I could. Now, did you realize how that you obviously have very strong psychic abilities? Did you realize that earlier than this? Well, a little bit. I'd had a couple of experiences in uh, I, in the early chapters of the book because people don't know me. I tried to spend a little time describing some of my background so that uh, there would be a little bit of a context for having such an odd life. Yes. But, um, um, yeah, early early in childhood. Well, I was taught to to communicate with spirit through conventional religious channels, just saying my prayers and trusting that the things I was taught were true. And um, and you know, I I grew up uh, in a faith that I, I remained in and struggled with, but nevertheless, I was I was taught that I lived on two realms: that I lived in physical earthly life and a spiritual eternal life at the same time. Uh, and then there were some phenomenon in college and in my first couple of, first year in seminary that were more in the that moved in the direction of the paranormal or uh, the charismatic inside the gifts that just is the Greek word for gift uh, within the, the language that a Catholic might uh, give it. Uh, but then when this happened, yeah, it was a, <laughs> it moved everything to a next plane for sure. But but what Nathan does, everyone, is he has prayer partners who obviously also are psychic as well, and they come together. Uh, he has he says um, protective prayers, which is very important. Um, in one John four one, um, the Bible tells us to try the spirits to see if they're of God. Every reputable medium does this, and Nathan very carefully does this. We call in the protection of spirit. There's no danger whatsoever in communicating with good spirits. We just have to be careful because there are some nasty, nasty beings in the world that are not in bodies at the time. Um, but so he does all of that, and then he calls in whoever it was, you know, the guy who was in the burning. There are all kinds of ways people have died in this book, and they all got sort of stuck because they didn't continue in the natural process that we all will need to undertake after we die. And they come to him and they speak through either his prayer partner or through Nathan and tell their stories. And the conversations, 
This book is so enjoyable, if only because of these fascinating conversations that you're having with these people who are, in some cases, still angry. I mean, it's like you're, you're, you're a psychologist, psychiatrist in such an important way because you've got to counsel people who are, who are dead and who need to kind of get past where they are in order to get to where they need to go. The nice thing about these uh, is that they've been vetted already. It, it was very clear early on that even though these people had died violent deaths and, and were stuck in, in some sort of trauma, uh, it didn't take very much persuasion or anything to help them move along. The, Ray, the first man, it took us several sessions over a period of weeks, I think mostly because my partner and I were new at this. We were yes. able to figure it out on our own. Right. But then after that, it never takes more than about 45 minutes tops, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes to uh, to help someone because they've been vetted. Their, their guardian or a team of spirit helpers uh, has sort of uh, let them know you are more ready than you think to move along, and, and they move along pretty quickly. It's, it's astonishing cause, because you're right. You know, we all have – we have at least one primary spirit guide, and many of us have a number of guides. And these spirit guides stuck right with their charges after the charge went completely off track. They never said, well, forget you. But how loving they were. In some cases, they the, – the, the, the person who had died is so bitter and upset he doesn't even want them nearby, so they're sitting quietly in a corner. Yes, I mean, exactly. Is- they they go as far, you know, they want to respect the one that they are uh, guiding, guarding, and so they go as far away as they can to give them their space, but they won't leave. And, and they're, after a while, they're not even annoying. <laughs> no, they're comforting. It's clear. But you, you, you make a point of that word, respect. And that's one of the things that in all my research I came to understand as well. I, I talk about love, but it, it really is a profound respect. You had, there, everyone listening, you have no idea. You cannot imagine how deeply and profoundly you are not only loved but also respected. Maybe yeah. in your life you don't think you're, you're respected, but uh, the, the reverence for you that exists on the part of everyone who will help you as you transition and as you are, you know, greeted and you become comfortable after death. The way they treat you is, uh, someone calls, what what did someone say? It's like queen for a day or something. They treat Uh, you so wonderfully. Yes. Yeah, and sometimes they have people that have been through a, a really difficult life and maybe a traumatic passing Sometimes they are ashamed of themselves or right. have deep, deep regrets. And, and uh, uh, I, you know, I do, I do a lot with etymology in the book. You might have noticed that along the way. Yes. I love to pick words apart. And to respect means to look at again. Right. Well, the only reason that you need to look at a thing a second time is because maybe you didn't see the fullness of it the first time. Yes. Uh, and, and, uh, and people can have a kind of a lack of self-respect because of guilt, shame, something. Right. And right. and sometimes it takes another person to help them respect themselves, to look at themselves again and see, well, that's true, but I'm I'm still good at heart. I did that bad thing, but I'm still a good right. person. Right. It's um I I was I became a Catholic at marriage, um, and I, for, I was a devout Catholic for 25 years. I was a lector. I really, um, because I'm, I, for reasons that we don't have to go into now, I've always been extremely Christian, and uh, I was, I was a Catholic. 
And I, I left Catholicism. I was actually called out of it by Jesus. And um, I have to say, my opinion of Catholicism has been transformed by you, Nathan, because when I see your superiors allowing, not just allowing, but encouraging you to do this, it's nothing I would have expected of Catholicism. It's like um, the, the, the church is opening up its heart to so many things that people need that were, it was not the case even when I left the church about 15 years ago. I mean, I'm delighted and, and so pleased to find you and to find that you're doing this work, which is so essential, and you're doing it with the church's blessing. What a wonderful thing that is. I'm, I'm very pleased about that. The book's only been out since the 10th of October, um, so it's still a baby. It's still finding its way. And yes, uh, and uh, uh, I'm, it's not universally accepted everywhere I go, but I've, I haven't been treated unkindly. I've had pastors and other church leaders say, we want you to talk about this, but not about that. Oh, you know, gee, it, really? <laughs> oh, Lord. And, and I'm, okay, I'm really okay with that. I just have to be. And, uh, yeah. and the, in the Spirit, we don't force things. The, the Spirit guides, and if you go where the Spirit guides you, uh, it's all good. But but the point that that I, I'm trying to stress most to everyone listening is that one of the things I learned fairly early on is that it has to fit. It's not we, we aren't just putting together a hodgepodge. We're putting together truth and facts. Now here's a perfectly naive um, researcher. Um, you know, Father Nathan has. He didn't. He never studied the afterlife. He doesn't know anything that I learned from all that research, and yet. In his book, there is not a single error. He has drawn conclusions which are completely consistent with the same conclusions that I have drawn coming from an entirely opposite direction. It is impossible for these, for my work and his work not to perfectly validate one another. I mean, I, mean, I was astonished, frankly, because this was recommended to us by, to me by a mutual friend. This, oh, you have to, you know, have Nathan's book on. This was six months ago. And I said, well, I'll put him in. Then as we get closer, I was looking at it, Nathan, and I was thinking, oh, my goodness, he's a priest. What on earth is he going to talk about? So then when I, when I, no, seriously, I mean, I didn't know. And, and as you point out, a lot of priests are not even, you know, it's, there's this thing, somehow we're not allowed to talk to the dead. I don't know what, it, it's it's more as if there is a fear behind it all that, that they just don't even want to open their minds at all. So I was worried when I first picked up that book that, you know, that's who you would be. And then I find this extraordinary person who is, has learned doing his work exactly the same stuff I had learned in decades of you know reading communications from the dead it's all the same mm-hmm. so you have you've given me really quite a weekend I, I have to tell you I, I feel um, a lot more kindly toward the Catholic Church and I very much respect the work you're doing I, it is I, I think it probably you're going to get to the point where we, you'll be training others to do it because it's very very important those who rescue other people out of bodies you know people who um, you know maybe were distracted at the moment of transition and they never completed it there's a whole industry now helping those people but we need to be able to help these people too because as you point out a lot of them are not ready to be rescued until they're ready and someone needs to be able to reach out to and get you know have the have have those guardians reach out to you and then help them make it happen quite an amazing 
phenomenon. I'm so I'm delighted. I really am delighted. I if I had known how good this would be, believe me, you would have been with me a lot sooner than six months. I have to tell you. Well, then maybe you have me back. I you will wait six months. <laughs> I will. I think we ought to do that. We'll have to talk later about how we, how we can make it different enough that we can talk again, because I would love to give this as much publicity as possible. And now I want to talk about an example. And this is this is sort of in the latter part of the book. You know I'm going to talk about Dwight, right? Um, oh, good. He, okay. <laughs> he, th- this, is, this was a, a case that um, I think made the whole book worthwhile um, for, for a number of reasons. And people listening who have listened to her well will understand some of the reasons why. But Dwight's story is astonishing. Dwight was a closeted homosexual who was into S&M. Uh, which I guess is a thing, where where you uh, and he had someone tied him up. It was this is voluntary, and then killed him, with with stabbed him. And yeah, so, and to say that he was into S and M, he was into it um, kind of hypothetically. He had never really experienced it, but he knew about it, and he was attracted toward it. So this was so, his first was, time. I guess I didn't realize that first time. Oh my goodness! This was his first time ever. Uh, he was I, when I talk about this story. I always ask people, "Did you have you ever had a professional massage? Have you ever had one?" <laughs> no, I don't do that sort of thing. All right. Like- well, the, I was once given a gift certificate for Christmas for a professional massage. It wasn't something that I would have gone out of my way to do. Yeah. But since it was free, I did it. And then I, I thought, right. you know, at some point you got to get, do you have to get naked or how naked or you know, right. uh, where, you know, yeah. you don't want to, you know, drop your drawers in the wrong place. And I it had just a little bit of nervousness about, you know, how does this work? Well, in Dwight's case, he was going into his first ever uh, sexual oh, encounter God. of this nature and was told you go to this place and you go down this corridor and you go into that room and someone joins you. So the poor guy was maybe about 22, something like that, and uh-huh. trying this out for the first time when he was murdered by the, the very first person that that, that uh, he encountered. Oh, my word. Poor man. Yeah. And, and his family didn't know that they didn't know this. And suddenly then, his his life is exposed in the most horrible way, and he yes. he felt so guilty and so full of shame that um, he just. Well, tell the story. Yeah, I I'm going to read a well, couple of passages from the book, but tell the story. Okay. Well, he was um, he he allowed himself to be tied up by this person, and the way it came to me in a dream is. I, my vantage point in the dream was I was on top of a young man naked from the waist up. So, uh, and then I, I see something sharp plunged into each of his breasts. Oh, like, my uh, And, and uh, he cried, he didn't fight, and he cried out, what are you doing to me? And I woke up. So that one was really chilly. Uh these people narrate their stories, but sometimes they're they're kind of third person narration, and they're somewhat yes. distant from the event. But in this one, man, he put me right in it. And okay. when I woke up and and got to deal with it, um, pray with a partner, uh, he was explaining that you know he was vul- he was vulnerable and couldn't fight back because he allowed his hands to be tied. 
and and he was expecting, you know, S and M that it would involve some little, uh, I don't know, cutting, some inflicting of pain, but nothing, uh, you know, like brutal murder. Yeah, no. Uh, and he was he was his his wounds were such that he was dying almost right away. Yeah. And so then, from his point of view, the room began to fill up with people. They were spirit people, but they were people. And he didn't want to be with. <laughs> it was the was, last place on earth he wanted company, except right. for the one kind of uh, partner. Uh, so he was just horrified, and nobody. He had not told anybody that he was gay. Uh, and certainly not that he had a proclivity toward S and M. And then, of course, he was murdered. Everybody that loved him uh, uh, learned of all these things at the same time, and he. Was oh horrified. yeah. Yes, yes. And and so you you began the process with him, but clearly he needed he was this was someone who was pretty broken up and 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 full of shame. He did he yeah. needed what what we would call what we would call in the afterlife um, pretty intensive care. And in fact, there are hospitals in the afterlife where people who have been damaged psychologically on Earth uh, do um, get to go and. But I want to read a pat. Now, a little later, I should just say to everybody whose story is told in this wonderful book, uh, Nathan respected them, and he he asked them. He called them back to visit with him and his partner, whoever was his prayer partner at the time, and said, "Do you mind if we tell you a story?" And they all, nearly all of them, said, "Sure, go ahead and tell it." And only one person even wanted a name change, but. Mm-hmm. When you called back to called Nathan, Nathan, you called Dwight back in. Um, your your prayer partner was Richard, and he was Dwight was speaking through you. And this is a passage from the book. I'm going to give quote two passages about this. Richard said, okay. "So you've been talking to someone? You mean your guardian?" And Dwight said, "Yeah, but not just him. It might be hard for you to believe." And, and there he pauses and he says, "Jesus, but not the judging one." And Richard said, you mean Jesus has been visiting you and you let him? Dwight says, yeah, he's been coming the way you might visit somebody in a hospital or a prison. Shows up, doesn't stay long. Richard said, tell us about that. And Dwight said, he told me, listen to this, everyone. He told me he died naked and that people had struck sharp things into him, too, and that it was in public in a busy place with people all around and that his mom and some other women saw him like that. Think about that. He's right. People who are, whenever you see a picture of the crucifixion, there's always a decorous bit of cloth wrapped around. But no, they crucified people naked and they, they abused them horribly. And Jesus came. This is, this is a typical story, by the way, from the afterlife. Jesus is helping people all over the place. And he walked into Dwight's room and he sat down and he said, I want you to know. I went through that. I understand it. I'm a, I, when I came to this, it really choked me up. Think about this. He's telling Dwight, I was a, I was shamed too. I was abused too. I was naked too. And my mother saw me like that. I, I have to tell you, that to me was so moving. Yes, to me too. This is the only person Jesus has shown up, the time Jesus has shown up, though, right? The only person he's come to that you it, know of? Well, of, of the, yes, explicitly. Um, the, in the book, I have 13 different uh, stories. Most of them involve one person crossing over, but a few of them, uh, there's sort of a spokesperson for a group that crosses at once. 
Um, but then I have about 250 total, more, closer to 300 now. And this is the only one where an individual, uh, where Jesus came as an individual to a person and helped them out in this way. I think in the incarnation, I believe God's incarnate in, in everybody all the time and, and more powerfully in those that um, but are most comfortable with that. So it, it, I believe God's involved in all of the helpers. And, yes. and is present to, in but, all of them, but Jesus. This was the only one where, like, Jesus the Christ of Nazareth <laughs> showed up. Yes, but not the judging one. But but see, but, but that, that's a very important point because this here was a was was a kid who had been a closeted homosexual, who had been doing whatever S and M. You you would think. There'd be some judgment in that, but Jesus does not judge him. In fact, Jesus actually says in the Gospels he doesn't judge anybody, and the evidence is that that's in fact true. But how astounding this story is to me—it was that Dwight's story was worth the price of the book. I have to tell you, and there's a whole lot more in the book as well. So I gave you the book for free, didn't I? Yes, but I, I thought other I sent people, you one. You did, for sure. Well, it, you had to send it to me in PDF. I, I tell people who try to send me books that uh-huh. you should see my house now. And I've been married for a very long time, and my husband will divorce me if I bring a single additional book into this house. It's okay. sort of you know how you know how it is. It's just the way, that's the way it is. But I have it in PDF, and yes, I I think it's a wonderful book. But other people will pay, will pay for it, and it's it's worth it just to read these stories. But this story is especially astonishing to me. All of it perfectly true. And then um, he still didn't want to see his family members, but he was getting ready to he still felt ashamed in front of them but he it was time for him to go so let's hear who came for him he says okay here where i am this nowhere place i made i thought that was very significant because in fact that's true we make our own reality and he made a very crummy one something shifting there's an old woman our people were irish and italian this old lady's a lioness she's not going to let anyone mess with her kids I think she's like my great-great-grandmother, somebody I belong to, but who died long before I was born. She looks brown and gold-colored like those old Civil War photos or the old ones with people sitting up straight in uncomfortable furniture staring at the camera, and she is not alone. There are others behind her, other old relatives I've never met, and she's out front, a crowd. And and then each of them is semi-transparent. They're solid, but they're semi-transparent. He says, they're letting me see stuff inside them that they were ashamed of that doesn't matter anymore. Think about that. All of these people who, who love him, even though he never knew them, they're, they're trying to help him by saying, as he puts it, they've all got stuff. They want me to know I already belong with them. So then your friend Richard says, so are you ready to go with them? Dwight says, yeah, I suppose. But wait, somebody else is coming. Will you look at that? Check that out. And Richard says, oh, my goodness, what is it? And Dwight says, it's the president, Eisenhower. Dwight, they named me after him, Dwight William. That What's he doing here? Wasn't he a general or something? And Richard says, yes, he was. Dwight says, well, he's standing next to the relatives. He looks good. I mean, Dwight Eisenhower, for heaven's sake. He's smiling and waving at me to get over there. It's kind of like an order. <laughs> and then, only then, does Dwight, does Dwight go. 
And and you 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 have you talk a bit more um, with with uh, the president at a later point, and apparently a lot of people named their children after him, and he's kind of become. Some of the, we all choose spirit work to do eventually when we're after we've transitioned, and apparently what he's doing is kind of acting as a as a guardian, as a as a as a helper and, and a spirit guide to uh, all these people named Dwight who were named after him. Didn't that boggle you? Didn't you think that was fun? It was crazy fun. Uh, so much of it is you wouldn't think that a book that's about people that died in horrible, no. tragic accidents would have would be funny, but sometimes no, but it is laugh out loud. They're great. Well, well, of course, the book that I wrote about dying is called The Fun of Dying, Find Out how, What Really Happens Next, and the, the title was given to me by Spirit. That's their word. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, from their perspective, dying is meant to be fun, but I just thought that was so amazing. I mean, this poor Dwight, and suddenly he is, he is being treated so wonderfully by Jesus and then by Dwight Eisenhower. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and he he uh, he was explaining that he wasn't Catholic, and that he had never been taught about patron saints, but he knew that there were people named after him. And after he died, that one of the things he learned about was well, when people are named after you, there's kind of a relationship, or there can be if you want. And I'm quoting him now. He said, um, "Well, then maybe I ought to pay attention to that." And so I did. And one of the ones who came across was this fellow Dwight, who you've gotten to know a bit. So it was. I think Eisenhower is still kind of early in his new little career yes, <laughs> as yes. a patron, and this was one of his uh, his first experiences of being a patron. Isn't that crazy? Wonderful. Yes, yes, extraordinary. So, so talk a little bit more then about what you've gotten from this yourself. What what have you learned from all of this work you've been doing? Well, um, one of the things is. It's you just get to see these terrific stories of resilience, people that died in horrible ways that none of us would wish for ourselves or anyone else. But then they end up having these really beautiful bounce back stories, resilient stories. And one of the things that they relate in their own words is uh, how they're delighted to be in a place where nobody's judging anybody else. Yes. Yes. The, the, the atmosphere, though, there is so utterly, entirely, completely different because there is no judgment. There is only love and understanding and acceptance. And we ha- we also have no secrets, really. Um, yes. And knowing that we have no secrets there, I sort of try to live and think and be as if there there are no secrets here because, you know, we have – we are we are entirely open to – to God and to our spirit guides and to our loved ones. And they don't judge us no matter what they find in our minds. And knowing that really is so liberating. What, what I take from your book is this. It's ever more, it makes it ever more important to me to make sure everybody understands these basic truths about ourselves. As you say, our lives are eternal from wherever they began. Now, from my research, we actually never did begin. We never began and we never will end because there's no time objectively um, beyond this material reality. And when there's no time, if you exist now, you always existed and you always will exist. And But you're right about that. But given that that's the case, people, everyone needs to learn 
about the possibilities when you die because it may be that you'll be in an accident if the, if these people all these people you've had, you've got to help if they had only known the, the real truth about the fact that they're eternal beings and the truth about the fact that if if they're unexpected they die unexpectedly they're going to have to look around for someone who can help them um, they'll be helped there as soon as you know literally almost right away but People who do a natural death, they have deathbed visitors around them often for days ahead of time. And that doesn't happen, of course, if your death is unexpected. But, I mean, what our our job, yours and mine, Nathan, and, and anyone else who knows the truth, is to really teach people what the truth is. Because then there's not the fear. And also to teach them there'll be no judgment. A lot of these people were afraid of being judged. Um, you know, by either by people whose death they had inadvertently caused, or by God, or by anyone, but there is no judgment. I mean, this—that's why I think this book is so important. Because even from a, the perspective of someone who's not done any of this research, what you've learned from doing this work has been exactly what we have learned. We periodically. Um, republish all of my fun books and there's a bibliography they include which is 70 odd uh, books on 17 different topics that I've collected over my entire life we almost never add books when we republish we just add two or three maybe we have just decided at the last minute to add your book as well because I think it's that important that people read this I'm honored I'm I'm trying to I'm in the process of um, of uh Use it, the the phrase that I use is interrupted death experience. We were talking about that at the front of the, of the interview, uh-huh. uh, and I'm trying to trademark that. And I I wanted that to sit beside in, uh, near death experience. And I was hoping that this wouldn't just be a book of anecdotes or spiritual experiences, but something that I could contribute to the academic conversation about survivability of consciousness and um, and quantum physics and uh, anybody that's trying to understand uh, the way the universe works. Well, um, I'm certainly going to help you make that contribution because every book in the bibliography that we give to people, um, and as I say, it's 70-odd books, some of them are more than 100 years old and some of them much newer, but every one of them um, I know is true and contributes materially. And what's great about this, too, everyone, is that it's not a long book. I mean, people have a no. short attention span now, so it's a little 200-page book. They're, the, the print's not small. Um, you can read it in an evening if you're if you have a mind to, but uh, it's transformational. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful book, and, and it's conversational. Much of the book is transcriptions. It, much yes. of it is uh, is transcribed recordings of uh, the actual work itself. Do you have a, a website for your book? Uh, I do. Well, I have a website for myself. It's nathan castlecom nathan castlecom Okay. Yeah. And the uh, the book is uh, is available through Amazon. I'm still kind of a baby in a lot of the uh, publicity and marketing stuff. That's kind of how you and I, our mutual friend, is all about yes. marketing. And uh, but I've had good help. I've had um, uh, especially um, uh, Jack Canfield has been real helpful. Isn't he uh, wonderful? Yes, he is. He is, and uh, and his assistant Patty Aubrey have been really helpful to me. Yes. But I'm uh, the audio book is just about to go live on Amazon. The uh, the uh, Kindle is there already, and then I'll be speaking at <clears throat> uh, Ions at the 
National Association for Near-Death Studies uh, convention in that Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, in late uh, August. So I'm I'm trying to network in with people who, like you who have been doing the research. I'm I'm a pastor and a campus minister by, uh, but I've I've been interested in this field all along. So I've, I've tried to do the reading as best I could. Uh, well, you've you've contributed in a way that no one has in decades. Because by coming up with a new phenomenon, which is actually a very important one, and um, coming up with uh, really what, one of the things people don't understand about death and the afterlife is that it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's based in consciousness, which means that dry scientific stuff doesn't work at all. And, oh, and you, you don't want. Go so, I'm, I'm interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, oh, go ahead. What are you well, going to say? Uh, um, a lot of people have an idea of death. They move from a from alert human consciousness, the way that you and I are moving about the world today, and we're around multi forms all the time. Everywhere you look, there's variety, and uh, and you know how many kind of ants are there in the world, or earthworms, or what? <laughs> right. Everything has lots and lots of subcategories and specificity. And then when we get to death, we think, bing, bang, boom. It's got to be, you know, right, left, or center uh, oh. in Catholic parlance, you know, heaven, hell, purgatory. And, and that, <laughs> that it, all, it all just kind of gets homogenized. Yes. Uh, and what my experience is, is boy, it's the, the, the afterlife is as pluriform as <laughs> this side it's is. Unique each one of us it's that's yeah. literally the case it's just that there are broad categories into which most people fit but we, it's it's our choice to fit not not to fit or not to fit some of those people clearly had their deathbed visitors there they could have gone home with them but they didn't it was their choice it always is that's we are much more powerful than we than we could possibly begin to understand and the work that you're doing Nathan is so important we will definitely have you back because we have a lot more to talk about but meanwhile we've come to the end of our time thank you so much for being here and please consider yourself hugged (laughs) an audio hug got it received it right back at you (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, dear. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm really glad you could be with us today. Boy, I just love this man. Isn't he wonderful? Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you really get what that means, it's going to change everything in your life for the better. Next week, we're going to be talking with Robert McLuhan. Robert is a freelance journalist and a foreign former foreign correspondent who for the past 25 years has been with the Society for Psychical Research in the UK, very venerable group. And he's been working in this field for quite some time, and he's put together a really excellent book called Randy's Prize, What Skeptics Say About the Paranormal, Why They're Wrong, and Why It Matters. Until 2015, the amazingly clueless magician James Randy posted a million-dollar prize for proof um, of there, there was no afterlife, whatever he was looking for I'm not even sure and many of the people who would have gone for the prize were turned away anyway um, after he retired it in 2015 he told people a thousand people had been tested and proven wanting and therefore he'd proven there was no afterlife the truth is very much different from what this poor little sad fool said Join us next week, please. We're going to talk with someone who is an expert in the area of debunkers, and we're going to delve into the shabby and deservedly dying field of diehard afterlife debunkerism.
This week we've been talking with Nathan Castle. I will say Father Nathan Castle. He's a Catholic priest of the Dominican Order who has served as a campus minister in a number of places. And he's now in a community of Dominican men and women serving the University of Arizona in Tucson. That's where Dr. Gary Schwartz is. Many people, of course, know who he is. Um, and, his, and there's other stuff going on there, too, which is kind of in this field. I, I think it's going to be one of the leading uh, universities right up there with the University of Virginia, where this kind of work is going to be celebrated and, and really pursued. Nathan has, for almost 20 years, been helping people who were unexpectedly out of their bodies and, and dead, usually for traumatically, and didn't transition largely often for complex emotional reasons. And to watch the process by which these people were tenderly cared for, even when they were living in a, uh, you know, a, a, a barren room of their own um, sad creation, to see how they, they were cared for and loved is beautiful all by itself. The story of Dwight and the people who helped him, including our Lord, that's all worth the price of admission right there. It's called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over. This is a short book, but it's a very, very important book, and I'm thrilled to be able to help it be better known. Um, I'm hoping, frankly, that it's going to be read by as many people as possible because it's life-transforming. As you know, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and very soon, The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. We believe it will be out in the fall. For young children, there's a beautiful picture book. I, I could call it beautiful. I didn't write draw the pictures. That's called The Fun of Meeting Jesus. My books are all available, of course, in bookstores on Amazon.com, and the adult books are available as audiobooks. If you want to talk about anything at all, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, there's a contact block on RobertaGrimes.com, and it can take me a few days sometimes, but I answer every email. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, realrevolutionradio.com, and a bunch of other places, including the wonderful Dream Vision 7 radio family. And many people tell me now that they just listen to the, through the Seek Reality app that you can find for free in the iTunes app store. But if you're ever wondering where you can find Seek Reality now, then just don't hesitate to go to robertagrimes.com, click the radio tab, and you'll find out where you can find us. If you enjoy our weekly conversations, you might also want to check out my blog at robertagrimes.com. I use those weekly blog posts to work through some of the issues we talk about on Seek Reality. Um, we, I get a lot of emails and comments at this point, and there's more space there, so we can go deeper into some of these very, very important issues. As you know, my role in your life is to help you get to the truth in just a few years' time rather than in the five decades almost that this journey has taken me. I want most of all to help you arrive at the certainty, the sweet certainty that you are a powerful, indestructible, eternal, and you in particular are perfectly loved. So then you can grow spiritually into the infinitely powerful divine being that you actually already are. Living in perfect love eternally is the happiest you ever are going to be. Meanwhile, everyone, this has been Secret Reality with Roberta Grimes. I hope you'll enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you in particular are a powerful, eternal being, and you most of all are infinitely loved. 
You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.